my wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm pastor to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful uh, city of Adelaide. And indeed, we are coming to you right now direct from, live from uh, Adelaide. Uh, I'm also your Drive Time host uh, every Tuesday. Wednesday and Wednesday, and it is fantastic to be able to join with you once again. It is a beautiful day here in Adelaide. Nothing like autumn in Adelaide. Love it. A fantastic day. I went out walking this morning, and uh, uh, certainly, certainly, really enjoyed my uh, my time. The sun's getting up just that little bit uh, later now, uh, but uh, walking in uh, the autumn climate, the dry heat of Adelaide is something really beautiful. Look, folks, if you'd like to tell us what the what it's like at uh, at your place, uh, if you'd like to join us, uh, why not uh, uh, make contact with us? Now, look, if you'd like to share a, a positive thought, if you'd like to share a comment on, on one of the issues that we discuss, if you'd just like to say, uh, hello, Pastor Gary, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Now, look, you can text us. Just text us any thought that you've, you've got, 04888-80811. 04888-80811. We would love uh, to be able to hear from you. Now, folks, this week we're following the theme, the Bible, the church and creation in a post-biblical era. Now, this is a subject and a half. Nothing is more relevant than this particular subject. Christian churches have moved a long way from where their traditional boundaries were on this particular subject. Today, we're going to be asking the this question, does it matter if I hold a biblical worldview and uh, we're really going to dig into this subject this week you will be amazed when you come to uh, when we come to consider uh, some of the the challenges that certainly churches are facing uh, but also some of the conclusions that uh, the contemporary church has actually come come to and the real importance of this issue I just emphasize cannot be understated uh, it was one of those beliefs that until recently was was agreed by virtually every uh, single Christian church. Now, today, our co-host is Marty Thompson, and Marty is pastor for the uh, Grace Adventist Centre here in Adelaide. He's also recently been appointed as the pastor for the Sterling Church here in Adelaide. Welcome to you, Marty. Hey, great to be here, Gary. Thank you so much. How did you get appointed? You've now last week you had one church as the pastor. This week you've got two churches. <laughs> what? I, look, um, I guess uh, there's there there needed to be a bit of shuffling, and um, and we're excited to be at Sterling Church. We went there just uh, just on Sabbath, gone, and we had a fantastic day. Lunch after church, they have lunch after church every week, Gary. So I'm, I'm glad that. So does my church. So, oh, so oh, does my really? church. Oh, really? yeah, every single week. That is fantastic. It's a wonderful. We have eighty or so people there every <laughs> single every single weekend. But tell me something for all those people out there who might not know where Sterling actually is. Where is Sterling. I oh, know it's here on the outskirts of Adelaide, but whereabouts? Well, you just go up the uh, the freeway there as if you're heading up to Mount Barker, yep. and it's pretty much your well, you, 
you go past Crafers, you exit to Crafers, and then your next exit after that is Sterling. So it's really the lower hills. It so is. It is the lower hills. Okay, so and it is gorgeous. Ah, uh, look, I tell you what, that is the place to be in yeah. autumn. In fact, yeah. every now and then, in fact, we were just this last weekend, uh, myself and my wife, we like to uh, go out and uh, and have uh, a Sunday lunch uh, just somewhere out on the on the town. Mm-hmm. And one of our favourite places is certainly the shops up there at Stirling because there are so many, there are organic cafes up there. Uh, it, oh, yes. Healthy, healthy, healthy. Mm-hmm. Wonderful part mm-hmm. of, uh, of the town. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, um, now... Let's come, Marty, to our World Watch segment because uh, I'd love to actually pick up. We're probably going to need a little bit of extra time on this particular subject. You know, uh, this week uh, in uh, in federal parliament, uh, we've had uh, Andrew Wilkie has uh, really been uh, talking uh, and, and presenting uh, major issues, really, concerning the Hillsong Organization. Now, it was reported on uh, in the Australian newspaper, and the title of the article was Hillsong Committed Fraud and Evaded Tax, says Andrew Wilkie. Now, I just want to read just a little bit of this article. I don't want to uh, get into the, you know, Hillsong did or they didn't debate sort of, sort of thing. I think that's incredibly unprofitable, but I'd, I'd like to actually throw something at you. You're a pastor, uh, with, you know, of a new, numerous years experience. Experience now, and uh, uh, these 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 issues seem to keep coming up time and time again. And uh, I'd just like to bounce uh, a few questions off you. Now, look, mm. this is what the uh, what the article uh, that I that I read uh, said. Um, Hillsong founder Brian Houston and his family went on wild shopping sprees at uh, Saks Fifth Avenue in New York and enjoyed lavish overseas holidays, uh, including a $150,000 three-day trip in Cancun in Mexico, while Australia was in lockdown during the pandemic, federal parliament has been told. Hillsong hid more than $80 million a year from the Australian Taxation Office, according to independent MP Andrew Wilkie, who on Thursday tabled a trove, this is Thursday last week, tabled a trove of thousands of documents exposing what he described as fraud and criminality by the church. Now, this is on the public record. This has been reported by numerous uh, news outlets. Uh, this is something that uh, is being discussed in certainly the secular media. Uh, the documents provide an insight into extravagant lifestyles of those running the church and complex financial structures that sustain it. Hillsong has boasted that the media has never been able to successfully accuse us of false dealing with finance because we do the right thing. But the table documents reveal that virtually every aspect of the leadership's lives are funded by Hillsong, including thousands of dollars in makeup, life insurance, personal security, and excessive costs for uh, one of the leaders to have their executive assistant with with them. Uh, among the Hillsong paid purchases were six and a half thousand for a Cartier watch, uh, two and a half thousand for a Louis Vuitton uh, luggage set, and sixteen thousand for custom skateboards. 
Uh, Mr. Wilkie said that the whistleblower provided him with financial records and a board paper showed that Mr. Houston uh, spent 179000 on private jets in a three-month period. Mr. Wilkie told Parliament, this is just last week, that papers show that Mr. Houston was treating private jets like Ubers again with a church, a church money. Now, look, I don't want to, um, I don't want to get into this and, and set ourselves up as a, a judge when we don't actually know all, all the facts there, um, mm-hmm. Marty. But, you know, to me, this really raises some, uh, some questions about, can I, Celebrity pastors, perhaps, you know, TV evangelists, you know, the, the extent to which, uh, the church can commercialize ministry without itself being corrupted by the very thing that the church preaches against. Now, it's this bigger issue that I'd really like us to look at today because uh, these claims against Hillsong have certainly been replicated uh, in in previous months and previous uh, years uh, with quite some uh, dramatic effect on on the church. Now, you know, uh, my first question: Do you see any any problem with big commercialized ministry? There's definitely potential for issues, isn't there? When we set when and, and and I appreciate what you're saying there, Gary. It's it could be any organisation, it could be any church, it could be yeah. any ministry. Yeah. yeah. And I think the the danger is, unfortunately, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, mm. and churchgoers are not immune to that. Do you think um, um, church pastors actually have a responsibility? To live a, a a more um, what would we call it uh, um, less a less ostentatious life than what maybe the businessman does. I would say yes, and the reason for that is because we are meant to be an example to you know to to church members to, to we're meant to be leading by example, and if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, certainly. We yeah. certainly recognize that Jesus, the apostles, etc. Um, whilst we're not saying there's anything wrong with being wealthy, we're not saying that at all. Mm. But the issue comes is when we start to essentially use those funds for our own selfish means mm-hmm. rather than to use it to actually be a blessing to others and share the gospel with others. Okay, okay. I really pre- uh, and particularly I like your linking this to the example of Jesus. Because, you know, if you think about it, I mean, when he died died on the cross, his only real asset was actually a a seamless garment that someone has probably uh, given given to him and uh, the uh, uh, the soldiers actually gambled because they didn't want to actually destroy this uh, uh, this very mm. nice garment that he did have but it's it's the only thing he actually owned mm. and he mm. was in his early 30s mm-hmm. in, in that age you'd expect him to normally start getting some some assets you know but behind him mm-hmm. but look let me just go yeah on. I think it's a really important issue Gary because I've had Various individuals come to me and talk to me whenever they find out that I'm a, I'm a minister. This is one of the questions that they ask. They say, you know, does your church try and avoid tax and yada, yada, yada. This is a question that often comes up. People have, unfortunately, and, and can I say with, um, 
I can understand why people have reservations about church. Mm. When they start to see that there is financial corruption and there is these kinds of things going on in churches, I I, I can totally understand why they would be skeptical of the of of what's actually happening yes. within the church environment. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Look, just just one last question. What would you regard as I suppose the signs of a successful ministry because you know it's very easy to judge that you know okay I have 2 or 3000 people are coming to to church or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7000 to church you know every every weekend uh people are uh, you know singing my praises therefore mm. I must be successful but look you know I mean you're a you're a small groups uh coordinator here in here in South Australia now look uh, what are the signs of a successful Church, a successful church can't be measured in 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 human terms in in the sense that we yeah we look at numbers we might look at we might look at finance we might look at the buildings we might look at all these kinds of um, measurable things to determine whether we are successful or not. However, God looks at our faithfulness, and so a successful church is one that is faithful to the Word of God. A successful church is one that, like Jesus says, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And um, I see you turning there in your Bible, Gary, and yeah, we see the model of a successful church in the book of Acts. You're taking my, my, my Sorry, thunder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go I, for it, go for it. The Please go for it. That is it, because here was a, here was a church where when, when people looked at one another, they saw Jesus. Yeah. There was only one goal that they had, and that was to reflect the character of Jesus mm. and to work to grow the kingdom of God. They weren't they weren't focused on self. Mm. They weren't you know, there wasn't this popularity contest or trying to um impress the world with 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 what we can kind of, you know, come up with. It was a very true to the word of God church and 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 it grew god blessed it and it did grow the numbers may come but the thing that impresses me certainly about the new testament church is that it changed people's hearts yeah you know to me i love in fact you know uh, acts 2 uh, 42 says here and they were constantly they were steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Mm, in mm. other words, if you like, in, in this New Testament church, what there is is that there is a change in the heart mm. of the individual. You know, one of the things that I suppose frustrates me uh, incredibly is when I, I see uh, uh, ministries being judged according to simply the number of people that come along on the on the weekend, I know in in my own church, you know, people uh, people say to me, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, thankfully we're part of a, a growing church at uh, okay. at this particular point, and and that's that's good. But to me, the thing that um, early in my ministry, a a senior pastor actually said to me, he said uh, Gary, he said, I want to tell you how to uh, assess a church. And I, I looked at him and I said, I said to him, Eric, and he, he was a, uh, he's long passed away now. Uh, I did my internship mm. under him many years ago. He said, the way you assess a church is have a look at how many people come to the midweek prayer meeting 
and the Bible study groups. Yeah. Yeah. He said yeah. that is the very best indicator. That's the pulse of the he church. He said that's the pulse of the church. Yeah. He said people will come along to church because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But when they're coming along to the to the small group that's happening, yeah. when they're coming happening coming along to the prayer meeting midweek, when you see the prayer meeting actually starting mm-hmm. to to grow and increase, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you know that your church is actually growing. Mm, absolutely, that's a that is a very wise insight, isn't it? Oh, look, like look. That. When he said that to me, I sort of thought, "Hey, now that is that is something that is worth, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. worth remembering." Just, uh, just that, yeah. Uh, you know, healthy churches. You know, well, one of the things that I I appreciate too about a healthy church. A healthy church is a church that, to me, craves uh, the um, the meat of the word. Not the milk of the word. Absolutely, absolutely. Anchored in, in God's word. You know, this, we can be surface readers, mm-hmm. anchored nowhere. And what happens is, like you're saying, sometimes all it takes is a charismatic speaker and, and suddenly we start shifting our views quite rapidly. Yeah. Rather than having a personal relationship with Christ. I think, yeah. So, I think a, success, a sign of a successful church is one that doesn't point and draw people to certain individuals, but points people to Christ and to his word. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that's so important. And uh, to me, the more Jesus is is uplifted, the more mm-hmm. the, I, I can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit is love, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. You know, I see these things developing in a church. I can see the church uh, actually, actually growing. Uh, you know, the thing I suppose uh, that I I just say, and uh, finally, is that you know many many successful churches do not have celebrity pastors. That's a good point, Gary. It's a good point because it's not about people at the end of the day. Uh, you know, as in when I say that, I mean it's not about somebody being elevated up to you know to some kind of um, super super spiritual yeah. status. Yeah, it's uh, it's a level at the foot of the cross. Yeah. And Jesus demonstrated that to us when he, you know, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It, and he said to them, if you want to be the greatest, be a servant. That's the key to true greatness in God's eyes. That is powerful. That's powerful. Guys, look, let's come to some, uh, some music. Uh, really, uh, uh, love, uh, love the music that, uh, uh, that we're able to play here. Uh, I see God. Uh, beautiful, a beautiful song. Please, uh, please, uh, enjoy. Comforting me in sins 
colors green I've seen all the beauty That few have ever seen My cup is overflowing I am led by your staff and rod And here in this song that uh, that is how much we do need uh, to be able to see to see God mm. now folks look we do have a giveaway uh, book uh, for you today and we've never given this book away before uh, this one is really worth uh, looking at now uh, look this um, uh, this particular week we're dealing with uh, with that subject the Bible the church and creation in a post biblical world uh, 
the church has just changed so much in their understanding of creation and we're going to show that to you this week um, and today we're dealing with the subject does it matter if I hold a biblical worldview so we've actually got a, a book that's connected to that uh, that subject uh, the book is entitled Genesis and Science where is the evidence going now this is a real a real beauty is Genesis in Genesis and Science where is the evidence going Leonard Brand challenges the reader to approach these polarizing subjects with an open mind and to thoughtfully consider the options scientists who are willing to research the challenging questions are testing some of the bedrock assumptions undergirding the long-held and naturalistic theories of the evolutionary community. Accumulating research, even in geology, is providing more evidence in favour of a biblical worldview and the theory of a biological macroevolution is facing deadly new challenges. Now, a lot of people don't actually realise that the evidence supporting a biblical worldview is starting to mount in favour of the biblical world world view but it's not something that's broad, broadcast uh, 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 it's not broadcast abroad all that greatly now the subject uh, of this book is uh, it, it compiles those um, uh, all that information Genesis and science where is the evidence going now look if you'd like this particular book all you need to do is uh, come uh, text us on our drive time number it's o four triple eight eight o eight eleven o four triple eight 80811 and the code that you're going to need today is SA108 no gap between the SA and the 108 just SA108 and that will go through to our robot and uh, he'll uh, contact you, get a little bit of information uh, off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible Genesis and Science where is the evidence going by Leonard uh, Bland? And uh, SA108 is what you need to text to us. And that number again is 04888880811. You'll really appreciate uh, this, uh, this particular uh, book. Uh, now, uh, folks, just uh, one other uh, piece of uh, advertising I'd like to share with you. Uh, look, if you happen to be in Adelaide uh, this week, then look, the place you need to be at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning is the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Yeah, that's my church, uh, a wonderful uh, little church. Uh, but this uh, this uh, weekend, we have got Dr. Ron Neller there. Now, Ron is a geomorphologist. He studies rock. Uh, and he's also a speaker for Creation Ministries International. Now, look, th- he, this is really going to be something. That's this Saturday, the 18th of March. At 11 a.m., he's going to be sharing uh, his personal testimony, his journey from evolutionist to creationist. Why did he change? He, he went through university as a dyed-in-the-wool evolutionist, but he changed his viewpoint just in recent years to become a creationist. Why did he make that change? He's going to be sharing 
his story during our divine service at 11 a.m. There's going to be a, a church lunch will be, will be available. Uh, and then at two o'clock in the afternoon, he's going to be presenting false teachers in the modern world. And he's going to be looking at this whole issue of, uh, of creation and evolution and the paucity of some of the arguments that are being, are uh, being presented. Dr. Ron Nella, that's at the Brighton Seventh day Adventist Church, my church, uh, here. And if you happen to be in Adelaide, we would love to have you. Now, uh, the address is 10 Amelia Street, Hove. Uh, and uh, please come along, guys, and say hello to me. I'm the tall guy. I'll be standing at the door and, uh, uh I'd love to be able to, uh, to, to welcome you along. So, so please, uh, join us this, uh, uh, this weekend. Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with, uh, with Pastor Gary. And uh, today our co-host is uh, Marty Thompson, who pastors the Grace and the Sterling Seventh-day Adventist churches right here in, uh, in beautiful Adelaide. And uh, this week we're following the theme, The Bible, the Church and Creation in a Post-Biblical Era. And today we're simply asking the question, does it matter if I hold a biblical worldview. Now, it was just before uh, COVID that uh, I actually pulled a, an article from uh, Christianity Today. This is one of the major uh, Christian uh, magazines that uh, is certainly uh, doing the rounds. And uh, it was talking about this subject of origins. And this is what it said. Most Christians today agree that human evolution is real, but that God had a hand in it. That's how the article started off. That's how it then moved on. That's what it was the thesis of this particular article. Most Christians today agree that human evolution is real, but that God had a hand in it. Now, of course, this is something that uh, creates uh, huge challenges uh, for people who are biblical Christians. Now, Marty... What does this say? I mean, what is worldview, and does this does this say anything to you as a pastor? Your worldview is is how you look at things. It's what you believe. So it's like a belief system. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to creation, and um, I guess what what you're you know saying there, Gary, and and what the article is really saying there is, as time has gone on, we have seen that. Christianity has been challenged and confronted with um, supposed scientific evidence yep. that suggests that we have evolved over millions of years. Yep. But but in reality, I, and I appreciate the, the book that you're mentioning there, in reality, when we look at the evidence, it's actually, it's it's totally in favor of what the Bible teaches. The The Simple reason why you can't, you know, you trying to fit the biblical worldview into an evolutionary understanding is like trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. It just doesn't fit. And the simple reason is because evolution is dependent on death. Mm. Evolution is simply dependent on death. One one creature has to die, and then the next generation. Its genes have mutated a little bit, and so there's this little bit of change, etc. And that goes over millions of years to somehow produce, uh, mm. actually improve 
improve creation, I, it, which is remarkable to me, Gary. Yeah. It's remarkable to me. When you think about the complexity of, of life, of, you know, of just the human eye, you just take that for example and you look at the complexity of it, the, the um, intricacy of that. Yeah. And how there are yeah. just there are literally hundreds of processes going on simultaneously mm. for and for the human eye to function. And yet the thing I'm really conscious of today is that more and more certainly Christian churches have come to the um come to accept that God plays some part in this evolutionary process. Now, tomorrow we're going to be dealing with this this, this thing called theistic evolution. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, theistic evolution uh, says in its simplest form uh, that uh, evolution did occur as the um, uh, as secular biology would uh, w- would argue, but that God started the whole process off. Now we're actually going to dig into this entire subject uh, to, uh, uh, tomorrow, and we're really going to uh, hone down as to exactly what that is saying uh, to uh, to biblical Christians, because a lot of people have never thought and considered exactly. Exactly what the implications of that belief are really, really are. Um, but mm. today we're talking about this subject of worldview. How do I actually look mm-hmm. at the world in which I'm actually, uh, I'm actually living? Now look, tell me something. Is the worldview of, uh, the biblical Christian different from that uh, maybe of the average secular person in the street. Gary, it abs- yes, absolutely it is. And and I guess to kind of build on this idea of, you know, does it matter what I believe in? Does it matter how I view the world? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I guess it'd be good for us to just imagine for a moment. Let's imagine you're a young person facing various challenges. You're wanting to fit in, feel accepted. You're expected to always look a certain way, perform at a high level get a career that earns good money. But let's suppose that you're struggling and um, you're you're really struggling. Your friends don't seem to care. You feel empty inside. I would ask the question, does what you believe matter if you're in that situation? Mm. Or let's suppose you're married with children. You've got a mortgage to pay. Work's stressful. You're not sleeping well. You're struggling to manage the kids. Um, and you seem to be arguing a lot with your spouse. If that's you, does what you believe make a difference to they're how you respond they're, to that? They're actually very good questions, actually, because what you're saying is that what you believe actually influences maybe your your thinking process. It influences how you think and how you react and how you live out your life from day to day. Let's imagine, this one's a bit further afield, but let's imagine that you grew up as a refugee. Mm-hmm. Your country has been ravaged with war for decades. Everywhere around you, you see death and tragedy. Does what you believe in matter? Mm. Mm. Let's suppose you've recently lost a loved one. You're struggling with grief and loss. Does what you believe in matter? Well, let's suppose you're an older person. You're because lonely. Because in that case, some some people have certainly got hope, uh, whereas others mm. struggle uh, because they have no These hope. These are huge things. They face us all, Gary. At, you know, at various stages of our life, 
we constantly are confronted with challenges and with issues. If someone's an older person and they're lonely because they've lost their spouse years ago, they don't expect to live much longer. Mm. Does what they believe in matter? And Gary, I think everyone who's listening knows that the answer is is obvious. It's, it's yeah. very clear that what we believe in makes a huge difference in our lives and particularly when we're facing difficulty and heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, what we believe in is, is core to who we are. Mm-hmm. And how we think and how we behave. And and I, I was thinking of looking at this subject from three different angles. Mm-hmm. Looking at it from the angle of suffering, mm-hmm. looking at it from the angle of morality, mm-hmm. and looking at it from the angle of identity. Mm-hmm. And um, and so let's let's look at it first of all. Let's suppose that you don't believe the Bible. How do you relate to suffering? You see, regardless of whether... Uh, we believe the Bible or not, we're all going to be touched by suffering at some point in our lives. And this is not an easy question, by the way. Yeah, Philosophers over the centuries have debated this idea of suffering. What's the meaning? Um, You may have heard the story of Charles Templeton, who was a contemporary of Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. He was a preacher. He was a, you know, he was an evangelist, you know, to large crowds of people preaching the message. And yet in his journey... He writes a book, you know, Farewell to God, and um, he becomes an atheist. Mm-hmm. And one of the key issues that Charles Templeton couldn't couldn't come to terms with was this whole issue of suffering. If God is so good, then why is there so much evil in his creation? Yeah. And, 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 and so if you don't believe in the Bible, you and will, of course, yeah, of course, this on, is a challenge. On that front, what you actually find is that the Bible does actually give answers to where evil and suffering came from. But you know, absolutely. If in fact you follow a evolutionary worldview, then basically what you've got to accept is that suffering is just the normal course of mm. event. You know, this generation passes away, uh, survival of the fittest, suffering is something that is normative for the human race. And yes. if in fact you link God and say that God started this process, you've got a, problem. You've got a huge problem because at that very point... I don't wh- believe in a God like that, Gary. I don't believe in it. I mean, the scriptures don't give us a Absolutely God like not. that. Because if, if God was that way, he would be a tyrant. Yeah. To set something in motion. I mean, look at the suffering in the world today. Yeah. And if God is the one who set that all up in motion, mm. then he's a tyrant. And that's why there are so many atheists today. They yeah. look at the suffering in the world. They say, the Bible claims that God is a God of love. This just doesn't seem to mesh. But see, yeah, like you're saying, if you do believe in the Bible, you will see suffering totally differently. And you'll go through suffering in a totally different way as well. Firstly, the Bible teaches that evil is an intruder in the universe. It's not part of God's plan. And the door that opened the way for evil to come in was a door that God never wanted human beings to open. Mm. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, Gary, God is love. And this helps us to make sense of why there is suffering in the world, because love requires freedom. Mm. You can't have love without freedom. And where there's freedom, there's risk. Okay. And because God has created us and he created all all intelligent beings with the freedom to choose, there is always the possibility 
of evil. There was always the possibility that a being, and when we read scripture, we understand that this angel named Lucifer rebelled against God. And this was the true origin of evil. Mm, yeah. Look, that's that's actually a very powerful and an important uh, point for us to actually uh, understand because uh, it, it does explain where pain and suffering did actually come from. It does. Uh, you know, and to me, I think it's an incredibly dangerous thing when we turn around and we start to accept a, a philosophy, uh, because that's what, you know, we're, we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. simply says that uh, God's part of some process, uh, that is, uh, going to uh, bring suffering into our world. I mean, goodness me, we've actually, we serve a God who is prepared to send his son, Jesus Christ. In order yeah. to save humanity, yeah, it, it, now, absolutely. Now, to me, to turn around and to say that same God is prepared to countenance something that brings suffering on our world, while at the same time He's prepared to say, "I'm going to send my Son to save that world." Absolutely, the yeah. two cannot be brought together. They can't. They can't. That's exactly right, Gary, and, and this is really what's at stake, isn't it? It's the character of God, and, and our whole view of God is, um, is, is really connected to this. Mm. You know, the, the other thought I was going to add is that um, the Bible sh- shares the perspective that God actually feels our pain alongside us. Mm. There's a text in Isaiah, it says, in, the, in all their affliction, he was afflicted, mm. Isaiah 63 verse 9. When I suffer because I live in a broken world, or even because of my own choices, God suffers with me. Mm. And he longs to bring me comfort in my pain. It's a totally different picture. And when I understand it, I go through suffering with a sense of peace, with a sense of hope that I'm not alone. Well, I I go through this. If I can understand what is actually happening and I can see out the other end Mm. of it, it's certainly, I'm able to, I can see light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's when, it's when there is no light at the end of the tunnel that uh, suddenly a suffering becomes an, uh, such an over, um, an overburdening experience. But look, let's just have a little bit of a break there because we do need to come to some, uh, some music. Uh, Let's come to uh, Keith and uh, Kristen Getty, and this is the perfect wisdom of our God. Uh, Please enjoy. The perfect wisdom of our God revealed in all All things created by His hand And held together at His command He knows the mysteries of the seas The secrets of the stars are His He guides the planets on their way And turns the earth through another day Oh 
pray for peace and cling to love and teach me humbly to receive the sun and rain of your sovereignty it's true Keith and uh, Kristen Getty, the perfect wisdom of our of our God. Uh, folks, don't forget that uh, giveaway book today uh, is entitled uh, Genesis and Science, Where Is the Evidence Going? Uh, this is a, a real beauty. What it does is examines the evidence that is currently existent uh, concerning the uh doctrine of uh, evolution uh, and the uh, understanding of uh, uh, of biblical creation and uh, simply asks compiles the evidence Genesis and science where is the evidence going folks can I really recommend this uh, this book to you it's well worth uh, picking up if you've got uh, maybe a, a son or a daughter uh, maybe in in high school years uh, if you've got this is a uh, if you've got someone that uh, uh, maybe is asking questions about where did I come from where am I going this is a book that's worth maybe leave it lying around your uh, your home it's amazing how uh, young people will pick up some of uh, some of this material uh, now look guys if you would like to have a copy of Genesis and science where is the evidence going then uh, all you need to do is to text us now our studio text number is oh four triple eight. 80811 04888811 and all you need to put in the text is our text code which is SA108 SA108 and uh, that'll go through to our robot uh, and uh, he'll just uh, uh, ask you a, a few questions so that we can get this uh, book to you in the fastest uh, way uh, way possible uh, that uh, number again is 04888 uh, and the uh, code is uh, SA108 uh, now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and uh, this week uh, we're following the theme, the Bible, the church and creation uh, in a post-biblical area. And uh, today we're asking, does it matter if I hold a biblical worldview? Now, um, 
uh, uh, Marty, I really appreciated that you've uh, you've spoken about this issue. If you know a biblical worldview is going to influence things like how I view God. You know, is he a God who um, has introduced suffering into our world, or is he a God that has saved our world? Um, you know, but you mentioned at the very start of our program that it also influences our view of morality. Now, I'd love you to dig a little bit into that one, if you could. Well, let's look at it from the perspective of if I don't believe the Bible. Uh-huh. If I don't believe the Bible, how do I relate to morality? And um, for many, morality is not clearly defined. Uh, the line between right and wrong is is blurred. Uh Parents, for example, you know, without a clear set of moral values, largely rely upon the society around them to mould their children. Mm. And the problem with this is that society's moral values are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. They differ from one generation to the next. What was considered immoral a generation ago is now considered to be okay. Mm. And so it becomes very confusing, especially for young people, when there is no absolute moral code. And uh, without the Bible as an authority on moral values, we essentially end up with a scenario where everybody does what's right in their own eyes, Gary. Mm. And that, of course, was one of the challenges of the ancient Israelite nation, because I think it's right at the very, uh, very end of uh, uh, the book of uh, Joshua. Uh, you get a judges, you get a state, judges, judges. judges. <laughs> the, the, the one of the worst books in the Bible. Amazing <laughs> statement there, isn't it? You know, the, the, there you've got this statement that every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Yeah. You know, chaos. A, a biblical worldview impacts the way in which I relate to others. You know, as I think about it, even uh, something very simple like Ten Commandments. You Absolutely. Know, it, it really gives Absolutely. A, a foundation to morality uh, that uh, is... Uh, you know, is able to build people up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when I, you know, I mean, the scriptures to me, I, I love, um, uh, first John and, and Peter also, you know, beloved, now we're the sons and daughters of God, but it mm-hmm. doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he does appear, we'll be like him. And then I, I love what yeah. Peter says, you know, we're kingdom of, uh, kingdom of kings and priests, heirs and ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. when I, when the scriptures actually present, a view of humanity at such an exalted level, it impacts how I, um, how I relate to other people. And it, yes. suddenly the, these things called the Ten Commandments, they make incredible sense to me because, hey, you know, a king and a queen, an ambassador of the universe, mm-hmm. a son of God, uh, do I want to uh, steal from them? No, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah, it, it provides the framework for human happiness. It does. That's what the Ten Commandments do. And it was interesting, Gary, as I was thinking about this subject, you know, it was, there was a secular historian who made a very interesting observation. He looked at the moral values of ancient historic pagan cultures. Mm-hmm. For example, those of Europe, like, like Rome, etc., Greece, etc. Mm-hmm. And he, Notice that these ancient pagan cultures were incredibly violent and incredibly immoral cultures. And then he noticed that over time they changed. And, you know, what made the difference, he asked the question. Mm -hmm. And in his answer, Christianity. 
In other words, Christianity came, and and look, you know, I've actually had, you know, interesting. I mean, I've read some really interesting stories about, and you know, I mean, I, I hear today, you know, the work of the uh, of the missionary uh, in the uh, in various cultures is often denigrated. But I remember a a story at uh, at one particular time, a uh, um, a uh, a serviceman had been uh, washed up on a on a particular island. He was uh, he was um, saved by the uh, by the native population, mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, uh, they took him back to the village, and uh, he realised it was actually a Christian village, and uh, he started to actually mock uh, the the natives for their simple belief. And uh, their answer was actually quite simple. Uh, before Christianity, uh, we eat you. Um, now, uh, we no longer eat you. Uh, would you like us to go back to our yeah, old yeah, ways? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have uh, smartened him up real quick. <laughs> very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, Gary. When, when you embrace the Bible, yeah. you not only embrace Jesus as your saviour, but also as your example. Mm. And Jesus went about doing good. He yeah. up he like you're saying, he uplifted humanity to mm. a to a position that few of us could even fathom is possible. Yeah. Jesus didn't look at people as they were, but he saw them as they could become. Mm. And the Ten Commandments they give us that foundation. They give us a guard, they're a guardrail to keep us safe in society. Mm. If the world, if if everybody in in Adelaide here, Gary, you know, or, or across Australia, if we were all to keep the Ten Commandments, boy oh boy, it would be an amazing place. Yeah, it'd be yeah. an amazing place because it's not there as a legalistic list of requirements. It's there as a law of love given to us by God. For our own well-being. Mm. And what I think is very powerful, again, is the fact that the Bible provides an unchangeable moral um, moral base, a basis for morality. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't just slip and slide with the trends of, of the culture around it, but it actually stays true. To something that's actually deep within inside of us, and and that is that we have a conscience. Yeah, we have yeah. a conscience. When yeah. we go against our conscience, it brings guilt, it brings unhappiness, it brings depression. And God's word wants us to have peace and security in our hearts, and and that's why I think it's great when we have a, a you know that God has given us the Bible. It's this again. It's this worldview, isn't it? You know, I mean, a a worldview impacts so much of my life. It mm-hmm. tells me, for example, who I am. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm an heir according to the according to the promise. It tells me where I actually came from. You know, that's a biblical worldview. It gives me, yes. it tells me where I am actually going. It tells me how I can deal with issues that I face in my life. You know, that thing called sin that you rightly point out uh, produces guilt in the life of the uh, of the individual. The scriptures tell me how I can deal uh, with those mm-hmm. issues. I'm not left on my own. I'm given a friend mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. actually... Uh, Walk and to me, the very beautiful thing about this, and we do need to finish, is that to me, people might say, "Oh, look, you know, we, we've made all this stuff up." But yet, to me, as I look at the Word of God and I look at through the eyes, uh, through the 
a bib, as a biblical worldview, I say, hey, look at the evidence that there is. For example, in, in prophecy, you know, to, to me, as I, I stand in awe when I see what the word of God says about, uh, about our world, about the, coming of Jesus Christ the first time, about the coming of various kingdoms, mm. you know, how he names kingdoms. You know, to me I look at it and I say, is my biblical worldview, is it unreasonable? No, I don't believe it is unreasonable. Mm. I believe there is sufficient evidence there to say that uh, these foundational truths of Scripture uh, do actually have a substantive base to them. But look, I'm really conscious that our time is virtually gone. I'm just wondering if you'd like to bow your head uh, as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you for giving us your word. Lord, thank you uh, for uh, calling us uh, sons and daughters of uh, of yours. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for being willing to send Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for giving us uh, a direction that we can move, for telling us where we came from, why we are here, and where we're going. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, if there is anybody who right now who is struggling in some way, Lord, I just want to pray that you'd be with that individual. Lord, I pray that you might touch them with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you might give them peace and reveal yourself to them. We just ask and pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Marty Thompson on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when uh, I'll be uh, chatting once again and we'll be looking at uh, another uh, subject on this uh, on this journey of creation and evolution. Really look forward to, to being with you then. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.